0: Hello and welcome to the Trolley Stops here where we talk about real things with real people from a faith perspective. I am Taylor Darden and today our icebreaker is our favorite thing about summer. And my favorite thing about summer is actually, it's not really the weather and it's not doing anything. It's the fact that everyone goes on vacation in summer, which means that whatever you're doing is more laid back. Like whatever job you're working at or whatever, unless you're in the service industry, it's like, oh, we can't do too much in the summer because everyone's going to be on vacation. Ah. And so the workload is decreased. <laughs> That's what I like about good, summer. <laughs> good,
1: Okay. And I'm Laurie Ann Rookard. And my favorite thing about summer is climbing in the waterfalls. And Technically, you're not really allowed to climb in the waterfalls almost anywhere, but I still do it. And it's more fun in the summer because it's not freezing cold. And it just, I just love waterfalls. I like climbing under them, I like climbing up them, I just love being in them. So that's one of my favorite things about summer.
0: Okay, hold on. You climb up a waterfall?
1: Next to a waterfall, oh. if you can. <laughs> if that you can. is yeah. <laughs> I know that you
0: are a daredevil, Oregon, but I was like.
1: Well, no, I'm not talking about Niagara Falls necessarily, okay. just okay. The, little, the little ones. The That's little right.
0: ones. Climbing, I, was like, I was about I am very impressed. I was about to be very, very impressed. You were literally climbing up a waterfall. Okay.
1: Oh,
0: I know. All I'm right. impressive. Well, welcome everyone um, to our another to another episode. This is our twelfth episode, which is pretty uh, amazing. Um, we've been going since September, and this is our twelfth episode. And before I. Yay! yay. Uh, Before I jump into uh, the topic, I need to share with all of you that this could be my last episode, at least for a good while. Um, Many people in our congregation know, um, and uh, many other people know, that I am going to be moving to Baltimore in a few weeks to start my fall externship in speech pathology at Johns Hopkins Hospital. Um, and because that I'm moving to Baltimore and also because uh, pandemic restrictions are easing up and lots of churches are moving more in person and things like that, I have made the decision that for the time that I'm in Baltimore, I'm going to join join a church in my own community. Um, that just feels something like what I want to do. I want to be a part of a church in my own community for that time, and I'll only be gone until December. But it felt disingenuous for me to continue doing the podcast if I'm no longer mm-hmm. attending uh, church, either online or in yeah. person, which I probably won't be. Um, so I I've decided to step down from the podcast, um, but the podcast isn't going anywhere, you'll be pleased to know, because the cal- the lovely and talented Lawrence Clark, who, who you, if you are a long-term listener, have heard on this podcast not once, but twice, <laughs> is going to uh, step into my shoes as co-host. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited yes, I'm all... for what he can bring. Mm-hmm. From a different perspective, as an educator and a person of color, to this podcast. Um, he also happens to be Laurianne's nephew. <laughs> <laughs> so it will be a family affair. Um, <laughs> but I'm really eager to pass the torch to him, and I know he'll do a wonderful job. He has been leading our church coffee hours, our church virtual coffee hours, for several months um, and has really done a wonderful job tackling important topics, I know he will bring that same empathy and intelligence to this podcast. So everyone welcome Lawrence. Uh, yes. Anything I missed on that topic, Lorianne, about uh, the, the changing of the guard?
1: No, no, I I think you got it. And I, I'm really excited about that because as you mentioned, um, Lawrence has led us in some really important discussions, especially when we were going through difficult, um, discussions around race relations and, and so forth. He, he managed to listen really well and walked us through some really challenging, um, times when when it was hard to figure out how to talk and hard to move through conflict. And, and he led us through those. And he continued each week to bring up topics that were current events. And they were conflicted about what everybody thought. And yet he never seemed to fail to want to bring up and listen, active, active listener. Yes. He is an active listener. And I think he listens to people regardless of what his positions are and tries to engage as many different people and has an amazing way of not giving he never gave special treatment to myself or his mother or his grandmother he gave all of us equal time to speak and he still does so that's a hard thing to do with your family so there we are
0: wonderful listener we could all learn i could definitely (laughs) learn from him as a listener um so on to the topic of today's podcast um, which is interesting because uh, it's a podcast it's a topic that is is close to my heart and it is related to our very second episode our very second episode our second episode um, but today we're going to talk about um, Pride Month, and uh, what that means as a church, and how we've connected with um, issues of, around Pride Month, and uh, just our our understanding of queer issues, um, and before I go any further, I want to, as I've done on a few other episodes, explain that word, the use of queer. Um, we're going to be using that word today and with the understanding that it has a certain amount of controversy. Um, there is no perfect term for... Uh, members of this community of which I am a member um, there's no term that is completely without any controversy or that explains things perfectly well because language has limits um, but I, I enjoy the term queer I, I like it because I feel like it is it has become um, in my lifetime a catch-all term for anyone who is not cisgender or heterosexual um, and a quick you know uh, explainer i'm sure everyone knows by this point but just in case um those are separate identities right gender identity is one area um a person can be transgender or non-binary or many other things such as gender nonconforming conforming or gender queer. and then there's sexual orientation a person can be gay straight bisexual um pansexual which means you don't really see uh, a binary in sexuality. You don't see and you see the person more than the the gender or the sex. Um, And asexual means you don't experience sexual feelings towards another person generally. Um, So there's a lot. So sexual orientation and uh, gender identity. Uh, minorities in those groups put together uh, fall under the umbrella term of queer in the way that we will be using it in this podcast. Often you'll hear a lot of letters, LGBTQIA+. It can get a little wordy. Um, So we're sticking with queer for this uh, episode today. So as many of you know, June is Pride Month, as I said, and um, you may or might not know why. Lots of people don't know why Pride Month is in June, and it wasn't random. Someone didn't just drop a finger on a calendar and say, hmm, June, that sounds good. Um, It started with the Stonewall riots in June 28, 1969, um, in which uh, a gay bar in New York City called the Stonewall Inn in um, the East Village. Uh, was raided by police, and queer people in the bar began to fight back against the police that were raiding the bar. Now, historical records are not entirely clear as to what exactly happened. There's a very uh, popular story in the public imagination that someone threw the first brick. Now, bricks tend to not be lying around in gay bars, so a lot of people think that that's probably not what happened. (laughs) Someone thinks it might have been a shot glass. It's not super clear. Um, A lot of people... um, I have been in recent years attributing the quote-unquote first brick to Marsha P. Johnson, who was a trans woman active mm-hmm. in that community. Marcia, it's not clear whether Marsha mm-hmm. P. Johnson was there when it started, another trans woman named Sylvia Rivera, um, who was also very active in that community. It's not really clear. But the important thing to remember about Stonewall, um, for me at least, is that it was not a bunch of white cisgender gay men like myself. It was a very diverse group of people. and. In general, that community at the time was led by trans women of color. And I think it's important to remember that because it sometimes gets lost um, in that a lot of rights that I have um, came from that one moment and the events that happened after it uh, and from trans women of color who tend to be the most marginalized member of the, of the queer community. Um, and so that's something I always want to try to remember and I want to sort of at the outset always name my own privileges. Uh, even though I am gay, I have almost every other privileged area imaginable because I am able-bodied, I am male, I am cisgender, I am white, uh, I am a citizen, and lots of other things. So that's just one thing that I always wanna name um, and be aware of. And so that is uh, what Pride Month is and why we celebrate it in the month of June. Um, but we're talking of course not just about that we always want to touch on what it means to be um, a Christian in these issues and at the risk of uh, I don't of, of overdoing this I'm going to recap once more the Methodist Church vote if you've been a long time listener you can you can uh, mute your mic for a li- or turn your speaker down for just a little bit because you've probably heard this hash through a few times but if this is your first time listening and you're not as familiar um. In February 2019, the Global United Methodist Church voted to officially oppose same-sex marriage and the ordination of gay and lesbian clergy. And this isn't a position that while has has been met with tons of controversy, particularly in this country, it's technically still held by the Methodist Church. At the moment, that's what's on the book. Um, What was supposed to happen in 2020 was there was supposed to be another global conference to vote on whether we were gonna split the denomination into two groups and the split was going to be over these two issues, gay and lesbian marriage and um, gay and lesbian clergy. And there was one group that was gonna affirm and one group that was not going to affirm it. And that meeting never happened because of COVID. And at this recording, as far as I know, that meeting still hasn't happened. And so we're still in this sort of limbo land. Uh, technically, we still oppose all of these things, even though a great number of people do not agree with that rule. Um, so here we are. We are a reconciling church. Uh, and we've talked about that a little bit, but Larian's going to explain what that is. We are a reconciling church in a denomination that at this recording is still technically opposed to same-sex marriage and the ordination of gay and lesbian clergy. Well, how are we supposed to respond to this as a church how are we supposed to feel about pride month as a church and i mean that uppercase and lowercase so the lowercase as a church how do we as a congregation at 350 west street west state street in media pennsylvania 19063 <laughs> respond to uh, all of this how do we as a methodist denomination that is still technically all one denomination for the time being respond to that and as a global church um And how do we respond to it as individual people of faith? Well, those are these simple, easy questions that we are going to discuss today. Um, So, Lorianne, I've talked a lot, um, but I'm going to ask Lorianne some questions, and then she's going to ask me some questions, Um, just the two of us today. We don't have any guests, and we're going to just really dig deep on this topic today. So, Lorianne. Can you tell us your journey on queer issues as a woman of faith and a pastor? And have you changed your mind?
1: Yeah, so I would have to say that I have changed my mind over the years. And I didn't ever expect that John Wesley's quadrilateral would mean so much to me. But um, yeah. John Wesley has something uh, four sources of authority that he used for decision making. And the four sources were scripture. He would always ask, you know, what does the Bible say about whatever the decision decision is I'm making? He would always ask about tradition, like what what are the traditions of the church? He would ask about his own reason and his thought process. And then he would look at his own experience and the experience of other people around us. And he would just then make a decision about what he should do on any particular topic. And so over the years, um, these four sources of authority have been important to me. Um, sometimes they encourage me. Sometimes they disturb me. Uh, sometimes they challenge me. And so um, these are the reasons that I've been thinking and changing on the church's position related to homosexuality. And I have to say that um, when I was younger, I, I have to say my church that I attended as a child. Um, had a very literal interpretation of the Bible in relation to homosexuality. Um, And so they just said that, you know, homosexuality was a sin. And so I didn't, I assumed that any sexual expression other than a traditional heterosexual one was sinful. And then after that, nobody ever talked about the topic. So I didn't talk about it. And um, so then I I was in seminary. And um, while I was in seminary, I was working at a church with a senior pastor. Um, He was just a great poet, a great preacher, um, great with pastoral care. I really just had so much respect for this man. And I was finishing up the end of my two-year internship, and at that point he told me that he was gay. And (laughs) I'm pretty good at keeping like a straight face or a poker face, whatever. I... Yeah, yeah, I, I'm just like I was so shocked. I just thought, what is he telling me? Like, I he can't be gay and be this great man, or he can be a great man, but he can't be like I was so confused. Like, I, I was so conflicted. It didn't seem to me that he could be this great, this great preacher and this, um, respectable. Man of integrity, homosexual. Like I just, I was so confused, and I didn't know what to mm. even think. And I mean, I'm glad I was confused because it, it kind of all of that sort of, I think, brought it into a, a pivotal point of thought for me. So I didn't ever really. I don't know that I ever told him, and I still keep in touch with him to this day, as a matter of fact. Um, but I don't know if I ever told him how much of a tailspin um, that threw me into. But I was in it, and I um, really turned me upside down. So, after that, I went ahead and I began my my work as a minister. And I was all of this happened very early in my work, so I was really formative. And at the time, I was working um, in an outpatient mental health clinic. And mm-hmm. the funny thing about working in the mental health field is that every you're supposed to treat everybody the same. Like you're not supposed to say your religious beliefs. You're not supposed to and. And everybody in the mental health field treated everybody the same. And everybody who was gay or straight or bisexual, like it, just, it was not a moral issue in the mental health clinic. So I started to find myself living in a compartmentalized way where I was like, I was comfortable around gay people when I was at work in the mental health setting. I was comfortable with the people in my own life who were gay and le- in gay and lesbian relationships. But every time I walked into the church, I suddenly was conflicted and I wasn't comfortable and I didn't know what I thought. And I was confused. And then to make matters more complicated, I knew district superintendents and bishops who were such great folks and they were gay. And it was like, oh my gosh, now I'm, how do I put this together? So Mm
0: -hmm.
1: anyway, Mm -hmm. um, I find sometimes the spirit loves to help me through things by making things even muddier until they can get more clear for me. Mm -hmm. And so in 2004, um, I was asked to serve as a juror for the trial of Reverend Beth Stroud. And Reverend Beth Stroud at the time uh, was an elder serving in the First United Methodist Church uh, of Germantown, which is all, often called Fumkog. Um, And so my district superintendent, the only thing that was going to determine whether I could serve or not is the district superintendent asked me if I could, quote unquote, uphold the book of discipline. And so I thought about it and I thought, well, I, I just tried to like, okay, do I believe everything? Do I believe nothing? And then I thought, well, do I believe at least 51% of what the Book of Discipline says? And I thought, well, yeah, sure I do. Because I, I agreed with a lot of it. I didn't even know any reason not to. So I said yes. Um, but it kind of made me right. think about, like, if you go to court to change the laws and somebody asks you if you're going to uphold the law of the land, like, you kind of have to say yes to get to the table. If you say no, no one's going to let you serve. And it's just kind of a catch-22. But at any rate, I... um. I did say yes. And it wasn't a typical jury because everybody who served on that jury, it was a jury of our peers, but we all knew Beth, well, we all knew of Beth Shroud, and everybody knew where they, what they thought about, um, homosexuality. So it wasn't like everybody was just open-minded. We all came with our own positions and are in our mind. We all knew what we wanted the outcome of the trial to be. So, to make matters um, hard for Beth, she had already gone to the bishop and told the bishop that she was in a homosexual relationship. So. Um, she made it really difficult for those of us that were trying to uh, prove her innocence when she had just admitted to be guilty of the very thing of she was a practicing self-avowed homosexual. She admits her guilt. So we're trying I, love to, that phrase. I know. So she, I know. I don't even know what that <laughs> means. Self-avowed. Sorry. Is she practicing? She's not practicing. <laughs> I, we don't even I'm I
0: know.
1: I know. So um, at any rate, um, so we, the, even though people tried to say that she was not guilty, um, we still ended up with the majority of people saying that she was guilty, and then we had the sentencing phase. and that was really torturous because we spent hours and days with, um, with each other, as clergy as peers, arguing, really, and trying to do it in the best way possible. And we just um, and, and so not only, so not only did the verdict turn out to be one that I was not in agreement with. But then, um, then we have to all be marched out into the press. So the press is sitting there taking pictures and someone's reading what our position is. And I'm knowing the whole time that I wanted to stand up and kind of yell into the camera that I was in disagreement, um, which I probably would have done now and been issued out or something. But at the time I was still trying to behave myself. Mm. So um, I have to say that was probably one of the hardest things I experienced in my pastoral career. So there's that all kind of going around in my mind. And I still, I hadn't really said a lot vocally. I just kept my own personal thoughts to myself and on my professional thoughts, professional, and I didn't really say much um, at all um, in the churches. But then, of course, I come to um, First United Methodist Church of Media in 2014, and the very first thing that happens at my pastoral interview is one of the member states that she says that. What she thinks is the most important goal for the church is for it to become a reconciling congregation. So I was very surprised and I didn't have any idea at that time how we were going to go about becoming a reconciling church. So of course we did the typical Methodist thing and we formed a task force and, uh, and we went ahead to find out how to do that. And we led study groups. Um, we read a number of books, including God and the Gay Christian by Matthew Vine, um, we hosted talking sessions. Um, of course, the task force met over and over. and uh, We were trying very hard to think about how to engage members as opposed to maybe reacting and defending and shutting them down. It was super, super hard and probably something that people did with during the civil rights um, movement, a lot of self-discipline and a lot of careful um, scripting as to how one responded. So. Eventually, we had a, a congregational vote in April of 2015, and we ended up having zero votes against becoming a reconciling congregation. One person abstained, and everyone else voted in favor of becoming a reconciling congregation. And um, and so then we were on our way to not only voting to be a reconciling congregation, but um, but trying to live into that. And I, one of the things I and I, I think I've said to you, Taylor, before that mm-hmm. um, I really appreciate that you have noted the difference between being an affirming congregation and a reconciling congregation, yeah. because to reconcile mm-hmm. means that something's broken or that a person's been harmed, a group's been harmed. And the also reconciling doesn't say reconciled. It's a process. It's something that's ongoing. Um, so it means that we as a church have to we accept that we've done wrong to our queer brothers and sisters. Uh, we've excluded them from the sacrament of marriage. We've excluded them from ordination. We've excluded them, in many cases, from full membership in the church. Um, communion. And so in recon- communion, yes, absolutely. Um, and so in, in reconciling ourselves, we, um, we have rainbow. Signage, including a brown and black uh, stripe, and some cases purple, on our building, uh, to declare that our church is a safe place for our brothers and sisters. We um, we state our beliefs on a website. We um, we have a portion in our mission statement that um, also includes the fact that um, we celebrate our human family's diversity, and that includes sexual orientation, gender identification. We talk about affirming that all people. Uh, are created in the image of God and are worthy of God's love and grace. Um, and then in addition to that, again, it's it's just, it's not something that's a once and done, it goes on. It includes inclusive illustrations and sermons, um, prayers in worship. It includes um, attending and participating uh, pride events, such as the trans health conference and pride day, um, watching movies, um, Reading books by queer authors, Um, and one of the things that's a little bit new to me that I've really started doing is trying to research different organizations before I offer financial support to find out what their relationship is to the queer community. If I find out that there's discrimination, um, then I'm not going to support it financially, or maybe I'm even going to write a letter that says exactly why. Um, But the and you know it has can even have to do with like how one invests their money what sorts of businesses I'm going to support. I mean, it really, it can go lots and lots of ways as far as um, what it means to be an advocate. Um, And, you know, as you I'm sure must know, Taylor, we make mistakes and we don't always get it right, but there are often people who will give us loving accountability at those moments.
0: Oh, that's such a beautiful journey. (laughs) And I love that it started with your own journey, you know, and then it became the journey that you took with the church. this is really interesting to our listeners, because even though Lariane and I have known each other, believe it or not, for about three years now, um, we I've never heard this story from Lorianne uh, from beginning to end, and it's um, that's one of the great joys that has happened in this podcast, just being able to get to know Lorianne better. Um, and I really love what you said. Uh, you said it was good that you were confused. Um, and I think that's such a great thing to hold with this and many issues, is like stay there right stay in the confusion stay in the muck and 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 deal with it and wrestle with it and get to the bottom of it um, rather than run away from it um is not what you did you did not run away from it and i thank you for that um so i just we touched on this a little bit but i'd love to know you know through the experience of, you know, walking into this church, it's the first thing they said in the interview, reconcile. you know, we want to be a reconciling congregation, and then the part of the experience of the reconciling congregation, and then the whole general conference vote, which happened after you took me on, you know, um, and gaining more queer members of our church, you know, since you started, I think, um, even in, you know, uh, since I've been here, um, and you, you also picked up a gay employee. Uh, <laughs> we are no longer an employee of the church, but I was for uh, about two and a half have half-ish years. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I would just love to know, how has that experience been for you, taking the journey to the church? How has that been for you?
1: Well, I think it's probably the difference between um, a philosophy and... Um, like a real experience. I mean, we can have a great philosophy about what we think. And I, I I hear this sometimes from churches that have all white members and are trying to deal with issues of race. Like they kind of lament the fact that they don't feel like their conversations are real or they're, or they're able to have practical application. And I think that's probably the same way about any issue that if you are in a homogenous population and you want to interface about diverse topics, it's very difficult to do I should have human interactions so um, I believe that having uh, queer members and and staff has has certainly been important in in keeping it real and I know sometimes you've um, kind of gently introduced things to me that maybe I I didn't know or I didn't understand in terms and you know while I don't want you to have to always be teaching there is a little bit of that like I ha- how do I learn or how do we learn um, The more I speak and relate to people of other races, the more I learn how to dismantle systemic racism. And so in that same way, having queer members and staff who are willing to offer some accountability, I think it helps us to grow um, in the reconciling process. And I, I do believe that the more... Diversity, the more we have um, many different people in our lives, um, the more we grow. And I was just thinking of this. I know I I keep thinking about issues of parallel that relate to race, but I've been reading this book called White Fragility. And there's this one section where the author says that nobody ever thought about the fact that for her not to have um, Black persons in her life, that that would diminish her life, that if she didn't have Black people in her neighborhood, she would be diminished. And I think in the same way, for us not to have gay people in our midst, not to have gay people on our jobs, not to have gay people or queer people in our neighborhoods. Like it's the same principle. Like we don't realize how our lives are diminished by how small they are, um, by how, um, fragile literally they become. And so, um, anyway, that's my thought about your question.
0: You make me cry, Larian. <laughs> um, where was <laughs> I? Um, okay, I, I thought I read this question out. Um, how have your thoughts? <clears throat> how have your thoughts on scripture changed on this topic? And um, would you recommend any resources for anyone who is really interested in, in viewing the Bible? The Bible is important, but they want to vermi- uh, view the Bible in a more uh, queer affirming light.
1: Yeah, so I am, there's no way I'm going to answer this question and be satisfied with my answer. So let's just start there because there's so many different scripture and there's so many things and books written on this. But um, I mean, probably the most helpful book for me was um, the Matthew Vines book, God and the Gay Christian. And I like how each chapter took a particular scripture and it gave you a little bit of history and it gave you a number of different ways to look at that and, and to understand it. And so I would really recommend that book um, because at least it was the most helpful to me. But I think on on an even more of a primary level, just the importance of making the uh, a distinction between um, interpreting the Bible literally and interpreting it metaphorically. And most of us don't even care uh, or don't even think that's a big deal. But I wonder how many of us uh, would say that. A woman's not allowed to speak in the church, or a slave should be submissive to his master, or if a man divorces his wife and remarries, he commits adultery. And most people would say, well, I don't believe those things. I don't agree with those things. But then you need to think about, well, why don't you? And that's where it gets into looking at the culture and the history. And do you think there's a metaphor or some scripture just don't fit into our culture and into our time? And they, don't, they just don't make sense because they're not meant to make sense. And other things are more metaphorical. So I think on a very primary level, it's important to ask those questions um, rather than just kind of having a spiritual buffet where we like some scripture and we don't like others and we end up, you know, we're not really sure. Um, but um, when we look into the history of these texts, we understand maybe a little bit about why things are said. And, uh, and I, I guess I want to... Um, Think a little bit about the scripture uh, verses that relate to uh, homosexuality. Uh, There's some passages that talk about uh, condemning a man for lying with another man or references to Sodom and Gomorrah. And these particular passages, when you really get to the history of them, they're written about rape. And I don't think any of us wants someone raped, whether they're raping an opposite gender person or same gender. It's just not something that we want, but we don't always get to that depth of thinking about that. And then Jesus doesn't ever come out and say that anything about homosexuality, I think the closest he comes to that is the passage in uh, Matthew 19, where he talks about eunuchs. And some um, eunuchs were um, had been made eunuchs by others. Some had chosen, and some were born as eunuchs. And the possible one of the possible interpretations is of eunuchs being born eunuchs. Is that some people were born without, with not they didn't have desire for a heterosexual relationship, or perhaps they were homosexual. Um, and there are numbers of reference in the Old Testament to um, the Levitical laws, and we don't. Follow Levitical laws, we're Christians. So, why would we be following them? And they tend to condemn um, homosexuality. So, there's a lot of wisdom and truth in the Bible, but there's a difference between a literal truth that applies to culture and time and a metaphorical truth that applies to every culture and every time. And I don't want to forget to say that this is like a little bit of a, a, a kind of a sneak preview of something that Taylor's going to talk about on Sunday so not that anybody's gonna have heard this podcast but then but you are going to be speaking about yeah <laughs> That's true. it's fine yeah you can talk
0: about it now because by yeah, the time anyone yeah, knows okay. it'll probably happen. um well anyway yeah i think i love all of those you know and um i i also had to go on that journey myself because it was very important for me at the time um you know, that it, that I'd be compatible with, with Scripture. Um, one really interesting thing that I didn't learn until I think the last year um, or so is that in Ezekiel, um, the sin of Sodom is explained. It is actually explained in the book of Ezekiel that the sin of Sodom was that they did not take care of the needy and the poor hospitality it's, right yep hospitality. T- it's, yeah. it's spelled yeah. so you look for something spelled out in black mm-hmm. and white it's right mm-hmm. there and i just i was just like in all the years that the church has persecuted the gay community did they not know about the book of ezekiel was it not in there mm-hmm. like and all this time where they could have been like maybe we should be helping the poor and the needy you know mm-hmm. anyway that's that was a really profound experience mm-hmm. for me Um, I have one last question for you before I end up in the hot seat. Um, And that question is for you, you know, um, some people listening here are probably for themselves, probably a greater number, are probably not. Um, And I just think, what could your, what would your words be to them who, for whatever reason, um, they want to be supportive, um, but they feel like they're not sure how to start or the best way to be supportive of, of this community, my community?
1: Well, I think it goes back to my comment about um, the importance of um, just getting to know um, as many different people as we can um, just so that we can uh, be richer, we richer we can be uh, wiser, we can be varied, we can be so much more as, as humans. Um, and uh, that can happen through movies that we watch. It can happen through um, books that we read. It can happen through educational opportunities. Um, and like I said, I, I do think it's important, too, to sometimes to research an organization before you support it. Like if we're going to put our money into something, and this is also how I feel about mm. across racial things, too, like am I putting my money into um, black businesses, but it can imply the same thing. Like I have oftentimes gone to um, the neighborhood in Philadelphia, not because I, I mean, I could eat anywhere, but maybe I want to put my money into an, or into a, an owner there, um, a small business owner, or maybe I want to eat in that restaurant, or maybe I just want to be present with my, um, with, with the brothers and sisters in the queer community so that I can let them see that I'm, I'm saying, hello, I'm interested in, you know, th- this kind of thing and, and patronizing places that are, um, have a, a rainbow on them. So these are, I know these seem, they seem small, but we're on a learning curve and we're all working our way up that learning curve.
0: Thank you. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much, Laurie-Ann. uh Now I'm going to have the rare experience. I, have a, I don't think I've, this has happened in a while, <laughs> but I'm going to be uh, the interviewee and Ann has a few questions for me. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so some of these are going to be similar to the ones that you asked me, Taylor. And the, the first one is um, How has your journey been as a gay person of faith? Um, and have you changed your mind over the years on uh, issues that
0: relate? Mm-hmm. Well, first, my disclaimer is that this is probably going to be a little redundant from our second episode, Um, but that was a long time ago, (laughs) and um, it's good to kind of revisit it. Um, But I grew up in a very conservative Christian home. Um, You know, I think what you said, Lorianne, was really uh resonated with me about the fact that it's, it was not so much that it was talked about as the worst thing in the world although sometimes it was it was most just that it wasn't talked about and it almost to the point almost the fact that it was unspeakable um that the topic of you know the topic of someone being gay i don't think transgender was in my vocabulary or anyone's vocabulary around me when i was a child in the 90s and 2000s it was a thing definitely a thing but it was not something that we had in our vocabulary um and you know the fact that it was not talked about um, was meant that when I discovered, you know, as a young teenager, that I was different from other people, um, it was very clear that it had to be a secret. Um, that there was just, you know, I, I would every, every now and then I would try to broach the topic with with someone you know, that I trusted with an adult very obliquely. <laughs> um, it was just clear that it was not a topic that anyone was really willing to discuss with any nuance or anything. Um, And so I sought out books and things like that, and that didn't, that didn't, that wasn't satisfying either, because I never found one from a Christian, you know, I found things from a non-Christian perspective that said it was okay to be gay. Um, But that wasn't good enough for me, because I wanted it from a faith perspective. and, uh, through a long, you know, I, am going to be more, I think I'm going to be more open about this than I probably was the first time. Um, uh, maybe that's, that's why I'm doing it again. Um, I went through, uh, what has been called variously gay conversion therapy, reparative therapy, um, as a teenager and it didn't work. <laughs> um, but what it did do was it caused me a lot of mental health problems. Um, And uh, the fallout was that I missed a semester of college and had a mental breakdown. Um, And so anyway, uh, all of that kind of eventually, I eventually found my way uh, my junior year at my very conservative Christian college to um, what I would now call queer theology, but at the time it was just a bunch of people saying it's okay to be gay and Christian. and they had a they had a reason for it they weren't they were they weren't just they they were like no we've thought about this we've given it mm-hmm. thought you know um and i think i have mentioned this before but there was, there was sort of a watershed moment for me when i came across the documentary called um uh, it was called sorry um um because there's two of them the first one that i saw was called for the bible tells me so and then there was a recent follow-up a few just this past year called uh, For they know not what they do um But it was just about um, five members of very conservative Christian families um, who all had a gay or lesbian member. and what happened and interspersed throughout this documentary is a lot of very devout very wise and prayerful people of faith ministers and religious scholars and all giving a very strong case you know for why what we look at in the bible first of all is not talking about what we look at as gay and lesbian relationships now and second of all we should never use the bible as a weapon in general Like, that's just not the point of it. And I don't want to ever have to do that in my faith journeys, use the Bible as a weapon. Um, And so I remember sitting uh, in the room I was sitting in and just weeping um, and feeling like a giant weight had been lifted from my shoulders, which is a cliche, but that's exactly what it felt like. Um, And so it's been a long journey. um, And uh, people haven't always been accepting. And some people have wanted to like talk to me and convince me that I have you know strayed from the faith, and you know, why don't why don't we just talk about this? Uh, a classic thing in the in the queer Christian community is what we all roll our eyes about is when someone says, "Hey, can we get coffee? It's just a little shorthand for someone in the church who wants to tell you that we want to talk about the fact that you're gay and we're actually not okay with it. And it's like a shorthand. oh, they're going to get coffee with me. Um, and um so I, you know, eventually I found my way to uh, a church that was fully accepting, had uh. a lesbian pastor who was named mm. <laughs> Not, it wasn't this mm. church, um, and then I was there for four years and that was a really lovely experience, and then I found out that there was a church in media that had a part-time position open for someone who wanted to work then with, you know, young adults and just, you know, outreach in general, and I applied for that job. I believe may lead us to our next question.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think you did. I think you just walked us right to it, Taylor. Um, so I will ask the question that you're getting ready to answer, which is, um, how has the experience of being a gay man on staff at our church been for you? What's that been like?
0: Yeah. Um, I was, I mean, first of all, I had I, I felt I had to put it out there from sort of the get-go. I had to mention it in my interview. I had to make it very clear because it was not something that I was willing to keep a secret. Um, Uh, And it was not even something that I was willing to like, I don't know, leave at home, right? You know, Sometimes uh, the fact that someone is gay in a particular workplace is an open secret. Um, Everyone knows, but they don't ever talk about it. They don't ask about, you know, how's the person you're dating. They don't feel that they can invite their partner to a Christmas party. and I wasn't going to do that either. Um, and, and part of the reason I wasn't going to do that is I felt that so much of what I needed to do in the work in this position would be um, reconciling with the queer community, because that is one of the church's biggest failings mm. in the last hundred mm. years. Um, you know, and so like, mm. there's no way that I could do that and, and, and not be fully open with who I was. So I was like, well, I'm putting it out there. And if they have a problem with it, mm. then we'll vote know. This is not a good match. Um, And that's not what happened. You hired me. And I I think I may have mentioned it the first Sunday that I was there. I think I may have gotten up in front of God and everybody, no pun intended, and said, like... Hey, I really am so thankful that you're letting me here. I never thought I'd be hired by any kind of church or religious organization as a gay man. Um, not sure that anyone was surprised by those words coming out of my mouth, but um, yeah. And, and so, and, and I have to tell you that in the three years that I have been involved with this church, um, between the hiring process and then becoming an employee, and then deciding to become a member. Um, I've always felt that. I've always felt that everyone was completely accepting. I don't know what thoughts go on every single person's head, but I know that everyone voted to become a reconciling church, you know, um, when that happened or if the one person is named or whatever. But, you know, um, and so it's been a really cool journey uh, that way. And of course, I've been an employee during the reconciling vote. Sorry, during the general conference vote, which was not what I knew I was signing up for. Mm-hmm. That that was a surprise. <laughs> and I had a choice. I knew that I had a choice, and you gave me a choice. You mm-hmm. said, listen, mm-hmm. Taylor, you don't have to go through this. You don't have to do this. If this is not something you want to endure, having to go through this painful vote, which is probably going to be a whole thing, you don't have to. Um, and you were right. I didn't. But I really decided that I was going to be In this situation I was going to be an Esther and not a Moses and that was Moses left and sometimes leaving is the best plan sometimes just getting you and your people out of an in-hospital situation is the right thing but Esther stuck around because Esther was called for a time such as this and and so that's what I decided Mm. I decided that I was called for a time such as this and You know, I had already gone through the journey. I knew who I was and who I was in God, um, and I felt secure in that. And so I was ready to um, to go through with it. And, and it was not fun. I remember sitting and watching the whole vote, because you were in Mexico, you know, so I had to sort of de facto be the person tracking the whole thing. I remember when it all went down, and I was like, that sucks. <laughs> That really feels awful. Cool. Uh-huh. And then uh-huh. I actually was in charge of the service that Sunday after the vote happened because you were in Mexico. Um, on a service trip. No, on a service trip. <laughs> you weren't on a party, let's be clear. You weren't on a party you were <laughs> on a service trip. Mm. Um, no,
1: I was commu- communicating with you from like a porta potty, a porta potty. out on a cement right.
0: a cement <laughs> – Cement brigade. I remember we had to draft our statement. Like, you had to dictate. What did we do? You had to dictate it to me from the fourth line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was
1: just, it was crazy. It's, I just, there's this little thing that said Damas on it, and I was oh in there, gosh. and people probably wonder
0: what I was so doing in there. I mean, it oh wasn't It wasn't funny I really You're supposed to be.
1: No, no, no. It wasn't funny at all.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. I had to draft that, and I had to, and I, that is one, you know, you know me, I love to speak off the cuff sometimes, but that was not one of those times. I wanted to write out every single word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I did, and I read out every single word. I remember the whole congregation applauding, and then I remember saying, "All right, we're going to take a few minutes <laughs> to talk about this." Well, it wasn't a few minutes; <laughs> it was a mm-hmm. while uh, because lots of people in the church had lots of things to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was—I um, mm-hmm. think it was my favorite Sunday. I mean. You weren't there, so I don't want to balance, but I think it was in its way one of my favorite experiences, certainly one of my favorite services in the time that I was there. Um, and I remember, uh, I think you know this because it was on video, I got the whole congregation at the end of it. <clears throat> we, there's a very popular church and song in the Methodist Church that we had never done before called Draw the Circle Wide, but I uh, made Andy, our music director, learn it like the day before. Mm-hmm. Um and I sang it, um, That draw the circle wide. And then we all held hands, the entire congregation, around uh, the, the church. And I remember saying, look around, because we didn't know. We didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know if we were going to have to, you know, run away or take our building. We didn't know if we were going to just, like, have to get kicked out of the denomination. We didn't know. But we all looked around at each other, and I said, this is your church. It's not, it's not the name of the denomination. It's not a building. It is these people. Pride mm. um, right again. And, um, and that's what I think. That's what I really mm. think that church, this church has meant to me. Um, and I'm so grateful for it. Oh. Um, the next question.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, as I get ready to, um, to ask you the next question about pride, it just occurred to me that um, a couple things struck me that might be how I might answer in terms of what it means to be maybe proud um, even to know you in, in certain ways. Like I think about the hiring process we went through and your willingness to to say that you were a gay man. And I remember when you said that, it, it didn't hit me till a couple of days later, but I thought to myself, gosh, I mean, mm-hmm. we're not allowed to hire anybody through ordination It never occurred to me that we could raise our own money and hire somebody. Mm -hmm. And I thought, God, God made a way through this. Like Mm -hmm. God found this creative way for us to do what we needed to do. We didn't know we were going to be, we didn't choose you because you were gay. We picked you because you were a good candidate. And then it wasn't until the interview that you told us that you were gay. And so I thought about what that was for us to like to receive you and to be so fortunate as to have you on our staff. And then in addition to that, I think about, um, you know, you being a couple for a large part of the time that you were here and how you modeled um, gay relationship and how you and your partner treated one another and always respectful and kind and helpful. And just that's important for people to see um, Mm. a modeling of coupling. A lot of people, it's easy to see a gay person as long as they're not in relationship. But once they're in relationship, it's a whole different thing. And, you know, you're on the couple's retreat and you're up front and you're, you know, you're in pictures, you're being interviewed together. Like, what is like, what did that look like to us? You wouldn't have known how much that would have meant to us to feel so proud of you, to feel proud of you and your partner. And then um, another part of the idea of pride, I'm remembering the day when we did this flash mob with the bishop there. And I don't know if you were there yet or not, but we did a flash mob. um, Yeah. 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 And so everybody had a different Mm -hmm. color and it was to the song. This is me from the greatest showman. And it was really super, super exciting. And it was another expression. I think it felt the kind of thing that someone does when they're proud and they're happy is you dance and you're having a parade and you're, singing and, you're, and it was really, so anyway, I just wanted to comment on that as I now ask you um, a question about Pride Month and, you know, what does Pride Month mean to you?
0: Oh gosh, that was oh man. The, <laughs> I, that was thank you so much for that, Lauren. That was such a great thing. Um, this is this is what we do, listeners. We tell each other things we, we've not ever told each other live in front of <laughs> live in, in front, front of people, right?
1: Time. Right. private yes. things, right? Uh, <laughs> like um, porta potty stories, right?
0: Yeah. So that's such a great question. What does pride mean to me? And that's also been a journey because I was I used to be really confused about it. Um, I I you know I, I was just you know. In general, um, I often feel like people expect me to be proud of things that are less important to me. Um, And what I mean by that is I'm about to start a clinical placement at Johns Hopkins University Hospital which everyone thinks it's like super impressive like oh my goodness Johns Hopkins isn't that like a highly ranked medical school and it is um and I'm excited but it's not because it's not really anything that's like super that impressive I'm gonna say it right here I was in the right place at the right time and I had a specific skill set and that was what they needed for this particular placement um you know and there's other things that I really am proud of right um and, and and those things are not things that I can necessarily write on a resume. Um, I'm really proud of the fact that I decided to be my own person and come out and move to Philadelphia, which is a city where I barely knew anyone, and start a life for myself. Um, and I don't think I'm gonna get a sticker for that. <laughs> no one's gonna put that on a resume. And I think that has been the journey for me of sort of understanding what the point of pride is, at least for me, is that it is being proud of something so that I won't be ashamed of it. I'm living in the positive space, so I won't be living in the negative space because the world still is not going to give me a sticker for what I've had to endure and go through, um, even as a privileged white cisgender man, as a gay person. Um, I don't know that I'm ever going to get any tangible reward for that um, or a little gold star. Um, and so that's what pride's for. Pride is for all of us who have been marginalized um, and, and people much more marginalized than I am as well. To, to, to wave that flag and sort of say we're gonna we're gonna throw a party for ourselves because no one's throwing a party for us um and, and that's gotten better you know even in my lifetime um but i think that it's still there's still a lot of work to be done um i'll just be honest uh two weeks ago i was walking in a parking lot and a stranger called me a word that begins with an f and we're not done yet is the point i think we still need um we Mm. still need this And, and i also wanted to answer this question not just for me as a human being and as a gay person but for me as a as a christian what does pride mean um and what's really important for me, I, I think you know um, that I sort of on behalf of our church as outreach coordinator marched in the Philly Pride Parade back when we had that. <laughs> we haven't had it for two years now. Um, and I think one thing that I realized is I, I went there I was like, well, I'm the outreach coordinator. It's my job to outreach. So I'm gonna bring some brochures. And I, and, I, and I took a pause and I was like, no, I'm not. I am not going to pass out brochures mm-hmm. today because as a church, we are a guest in this parade and we don't get to decide that we're going to be in this parade we are an invited guest and there's an excellent case to be made we as the church do not deserve an invite but they gave us one right Mm. so we're going to you know when you're when someone invites you to their home for a party Mm. that's not a time to pass out business cards Mm. for your business you don't do that that's not appropriate you're not gaining you're not gaining when someone invites me to invites them to your wedding right and and like pays for your plate that is not the time for you to be soliciting customers um, because you're invited and you're a guest. And so I, it was really important to me. I was like, we can't in any way gain materially from us being here. We are here to support and we are here to be thankful. And so it was really fun because we watched, I marched with a lot of other sort of like-minded mm-hmm. people in our local, um, local area Methodist Church. And I carried a sign that said, God is non-binary because God is non-binary. Um, and... Um, And it was a really big... And I did, you know, people did ask for a couple of the flyers, so I gave it to them. I felt like that was more appropriate because someone asked for, you know, because that was someone who connected with what we were saying. Um, It was lovely to see people's faces in the Pride Parade when we walked by. There were always people crying who saw us, and there were always people who just you know we're really happy to see us and say God is love, but we didn't have any hecklers which I think is amazing. Um, I often think if you turn the tables and you had a bunch of gay people walk through a big, big audience of Christians there probably would have been at least one heckler. Um, mm-hmm. But so pride, so yeah, so so, uh, so that's what pride means for me and it's what pride means for me as Christian and of course as a gay Christian I have to fuse those two things together and I have to always be remembering that I'm aligning myself with an organization with the ch- with, if I'm choosing to align myself with the church then I have to be able to answer for the church and the church has a lot to answer for um, and so you know I'm working on that but uh, yeah I guess that's that's my two-fold answer of what pride means to me mm-hmm.
1: Okay, thank you Taylor mm. So I know we know that this is your the last podcast you'll be doing with us for a while so I wanted to ask you uh, about what your parting thoughts are for
0: us this time. Mm -hmm. Um, It's going to be hard to sum it up, but um, so Lorianne and I uh, decided um, we were amid COVID COVID. all plans had been scrapped of my hiking the Appalachian Trail. Um, everyone's plans had been scrapped. <laughs> and we were really struggling. Um, the church decided, very graciously, in a time where people were being laid off left and right to take me back on as an employee. Um, and I was struggling with how I do outreach, and I think Laurianne was really feeling like it was hard to do what she needed to do as a pastor um, in this new world we found ourselves in, where everything was digital. And so um, Lorianne mentioned to me, you know, this idea of a podcast. And I, I think she just mentioned it offhandedly. Um, and me me, I was like, no, we're doing that. That's exactly what we're doing. <laughs> 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 and and, um, and we started it right when I started graduate school, which is so ridiculous that that was, that oh, was the time. Yeah. Um, and I think in some ways, I don't know how to measure my success in this job that I don't have anymore. Um, and I don't think I really should try to do that, but I think it's been one of the more quote unquote successful things that I did in this position that I got to do with you. Um, and I did it most of the time when I wasn't even in the job, uh, for most of the time we've been recording this podcast, I haven't been part of the role and you know, I think it's just become a real labor of love for me. Um, I just, I just, gosh, it's just the topics we've gotten to discuss and the people we've gotten to meet and most of the people, uh-huh. I would oh, say cool. three quarters of them, I knew. And I didn't know anything about what they were talking to me about. Uh-huh. And I just, it's just been the greatest gift to get to know all of these people and, and like the experts we have in our church family, you know, on so many topics uh-huh. um, and, and uh-huh. just the, the, the wisdom and the sensitivity. Um and the people we've been able to bring to the church because of the podcast, which has been amazing. Um, you know, I won't, I'll protect their privacy by not saying who they are, but it's it's really been gratifying to see. I um, think God has used this podcast beyond what I would have expected. Um, and it's a strange experience because we're just sort of talking into the void half the time and then recording it and wondering who's listening to it and how they respond to it we have these moments like that like what we do here um and Lorraine, one of the things that has been the greatest is just how much i've gotten to get better i've gotten to get to know you through the course of this podcast um, and some of it listeners is while the podcast is being recorded as you've seen today um or as you've heard today, I should say. Um That's right. That's but right. uh I I don't know. I think this is a really special thing that we've gotten to share. Um and we'll always have it, you know, whether I get to come back or not. We'll always have shared this really great experience. Um and I'm so thankful for everyone okay. who's responded to it, it who has also shared. Um I'd love to hear your thoughts on how this podcast has been. Uh if you want to contact us through the church um but it's been a real blessing and i'm gonna miss it
1: thank you um, all right well i, I think we have done it should i close this out one last time yes yeah,
0: all right thank you all so much for joining us and tune in next time with our very own Lawrence clark on the trolley stops here The Trolley Stops Here is a ministry of First United Methodist Church in Media, Pennsylvania. It's hosted by Laurie Ann Rookard and Taylor Darden, and our podcast is edited by Ayanda Sithole.